Hello and welcome to the EG Property Podcast and a very special episode that takes a different look at one of the UK's most famous streets. Oxford Street has long been the backbone of London's retail scene. It has been the capital's high street for decades, but over recent years has lost some, if not all, of its shine. Covid hit the street hard, and if you believe everything you read in some of our less expert media, the street is now full of candy stores and tacky souvenir shops. The truth, of course, is something quite different. Oxford Street is very quickly being reborn, with a fresh mix of retailers, a fresh mix of uses, and a more focused curation from those that own and operate the street. Join me, EG editor Samantha McClary, as I join Sam Foyle, who leads Savile's global retail team and is the man who has brought numerous new names to Oxford Street, Sarah Goldman, head of retail at GPE, and the woman making space for fresh brands on the street and elsewhere in GPE's portfolio, and Dan Hildyard, retail expert and the man hired by Polish Retailer Reserve to help it expand across the UK, for a behind-the-scenes tour of London's most famous street as we seek to undo the national embarrassment reputation others suggest Oxford Street has become. Enjoy. Hello everyone and welcome to the EG Property Podcast and on today's episode we are taking a stroll down London's most famous shopping street, a street that has had a mix of fortunes over recent years but is coming back um, with a bang. We are here to talk about the rebirth of Oxford Street and I am joined by three very active people on that street and people who have some really fantastic stories to tell us about Oxford Street and its its rebirth. I'm going to let each of them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about why they want to um, help spread a positive message, I suppose, about Oxford Street here today. I'm going to start with a man who is filling the street, uh, Sam Foyle from Savile. Sam, tell us about yourselves and what you're doing on Oxford Street. Good morning. Uh, yeah, my, I work at Savills and I run the global retail team, but I specialise in Oxford Street in terms of leasing. So I've been very close to it over the course of the last 10 years and I've seen sort of the troubles and tribulations over the last few years and been very close to now the recovery of it. And I'm really interested to be here today just to talk through the media has had a very focused view on a negative view on Oxford Street, which a lot of it has been right. But that image has changed over the course of the last couple of couple of years, but predominantly the last 12 months. And I think it'll be really interesting as a group here today just to talk about that and see what those changes are. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name's Sarah Goldman and I'm head of retail at GPE. Um, we are um, investors and developers um, in central London. Um, we really only buy in zone one and a lot of our acquisition strategy in more recent times has been around crossrail stations of which there are clearly two on Oxford Street. So we've been pretty busy. Um, we recently completed a development at 70 to 88 Oxford Street. Um, which is actually opposite a development we did a few years ago um, as well. Um, and we've got uh, some ownership as well further west up Oxford Street as well. Um, and yeah, I'm just really excited to challenge some of the um, more negative perceptions we've seen um, in terms of the press coverage of Oxford Street. I think whilst um, it might not have looked great on the ground for a little while, there's actually a lot going on behind the scenes, which um, 
Sam and Dan have obviously been involved with us with um, and just um, chatting through that a little bit more. Fantastic. And you mentioned his name, I Dan. Did. Sorry. Introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Dan Hildyard. Um, I worked for many years for a leading retail agency practice and I work for myself helping retailers in London but also throughout the rest of the UK. Um, and like Sam and, and Sarah, I've been pretty active on Oxford Street for a good number of years, seen the highs, seen the lows, and would like to explore um, this conversation very much because there has been so much negativity about Oxford Street in the last months and years and much of it is really about the lack of knowledge of what is going on so it's going to be quite an interesting discussion I hope fantastic well let's um, help everyone and fill that gap in in the knowledge uh, and talk about the changes that we are seeing on Oxford Street and and I, and I guess the catalysts for for those the the negative press of which you talk has been about those candy candy stores and the um, the lack of footfall there's been on Oxford Street post pandemic or during the pandemic. Did we have um S boss calling it a national Im- embarrass embarrassment? We've had all of these things, but then you go to Oxford Street to- today and suddenly you're seeing new entrants on on the street. Um you're you're getting a real feel of a, a bit of vibrancy there. And I I wonder what what has been the catalyst for, for that? And maybe Sam you can jump in and tell us a little bit of what's what's changed the the yeah. actions I mean there's been a number of catalysts and I think we'll as a group we'll explore all of those because there's many there's many to cover but some of the key things that have happened on Oxford Street have been that and one of the, the, the key driving factors has been the level of rates so rates were very very high on the street and some of the negative press around that needed to be undertaken to help rebase those rateable values when the valuations came through and I think there was a lot of fuel that was put on that fire with candy stores and souvenir operators to help get the council to focus on the reduction of those rates in terms of the valuation office. And I think that helped. And you know, rateable values and rates, the tax that people pay on the street, are down 40% on the west and 35% on the east. That is a huge saving for, for occupiers. But along with that, there's been loads of other challenges as well. We've got a sporadic ownership, so it's unlike like it's a Regent Street, which is owned by one. Uh, we've got a scenario where there a lot of development has been taking place and when development takes place there is a lot of scaffolding there's a lot of vacancy that happens and in between those developments with planning landlords need to make sure that rates aren't paid and to fill that a lot of landlords put in these short-term occupiers were, which weren't just candy store it was souvenir operators all of these short-term sort of initiatives we've had covid which is a major element of it and you've also got rents rents were high and they've been rebased so that's another reason that that um, occupiers have been able to make some savings on those now going forward and then you've also got the placemaking and the negativity around the political challenges is it going to be pedestrianized is it not what money is going to be spent on it and that's gone back and forward so many times that it's needed a clear vision of that which we have now got coming through so it was a really a vicious storm of all these different elements that came together as one that created this very negative view and output and that's a thing that over the course of the last 12, 18 months particularly, we've just seen started to change. But it wasn't just Oxford Street. This is, and the work that I do in the likes of Paris and New York, all the main footfall, high footfall location streets have had this. So Champs-Élysées, Fifth Avenue particularly has had m- massive challenges as well. Oxford Street probably took the longest to recover 
over the likes of the Champs-Élysées and others. And I think a lot of that is down to the estates of London where they're able to control the tenant mix of these streets, do softer deals. They haven't got the pressures that some of the individual landlords have had on Oxford Street. So those recovered quickly, the likes of Covent Garden, the likes of Regent Street, and the luxury sector, Bond Street, etc., has been a very different market anyway. And there's a big lag time on Oxford Street because deals happen, but it takes you know six months for a retailer to open. It's three or four months of legals. So whilst this negative press has been going on, actually a lot of deals have happened. I mean, there was there was a stat the three of us were talking about just as we came in here. There's, tw- there's 20 deals that have happened over the course of the last 12 months. A number of those have now opened. During COVID, there were two. So <laughs> over the course of 18 months, two years, there were two deals. So the flow on that, I think that stat alone really shows what is coming. And we've seen probably six or seven of those open over the course of the last three or four months and the rest are going to be happening between now and the first quarter of next year so the consumer isn't going to see the changes come through until next year mm. Let, I, I want to stick with some of those those 20, 20 deals because that is a that's a significant proportion of the street as as well isn't it as as we will see it when it when it comes to to life and obviously some of those deals um sarah have been within um gpe's sites can you tell us a little bit about I guess your your outlook on Oxford Street and the and the kind of conversations you're having with with retailers with with occupiers and whether they've changed over the course of um, your your career with GPE. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> I think they've definitely changed in the sense that probably a couple of years ago I wasn't having them, um, <laughs> or at least I wasn't having many of them. Um, and you know, a lot of that has been a function of COVID um, and the themes that Sam's obviously talked about on a global level. Um, but I think there is definitely a lot more optimism um, from retailers. Um, there are requirements for East Oxford Street now particularly, but certainly Oxford Street as a whole that we've not seen um, for a little while. Um, I think people understand the investment that's being made into the street. They're starting to see um, footfall coming back. Um, you know, And whilst we're not possibly at where we were pre-COVID, we're certainly seeing that spend is back where it was. Mm. Um, And I think that's really important. Um, The deal flow that Sam talks about is really key. Um, You know, our understanding is about 250,000 square foot has gone, uh, has gone under offer or deals have been done, you know, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. That's a phenomenal amount of space. Um, And our vacancy rates are now back to where they were pre-COVID and that's really important as well. Um, High vacancy does allow the opportunity for change and repositioning, which is positive. Um, but we need to see the deals coming through, which we're now seeing. Um, we've had uh, three brands open um, in the last few months in our development at 70 to 88. So Dan, obviously, um, working with Reserved, was our flagship down at that development. Um, and we had um, Pandora open just a few weeks ago. Uh, Boom Battle Bar were trading um, successfully from there and have been for about 12 months. And we've got Fragrance Shop opening next week. So it's really positive and... Um, I think um, really supports the other lettings that other landlords are doing on this street as well. Um, and there's been some huge deals that you've been involved with, Sam, Foot Asylum opposite us, which is one of our um, previous developments as well. Um, but I think it's really positive. I think the narrative is definitely changing. Um, the footfall's back, the spend's back. Um, and I think people are looking forward to um, a better future on Oxford Street. And Dan, from a sort of retailer perspective, I suppose, with your reserved hat on, how 
How important is it that we're having these conversations about spend being back, about um, you know a, a huge volume of of space being taken when we've lived in a in a I guess an environment of people talking down retail for quite a long time, it being it being dead. I, I think it is important, but but retail is a, is a very emotive subject for many people. People have a, have, have a um, an affinity with it because everybody buys things, right? So it's not like offices or logistics or warehousing. You know, retail is is an emotive subject, and the the key thing really is that that, that most of us in the industry have appreciated fully that Oxford Street has gone through a significant change, and that's exactly what it is. It's going through a change, which it has done many many times before, and it will do it again. The big problem, the, the problem, I suppose, is that the change takes time. You know, Sam mentioned this before that, that there are three or four huge developments on Oxford Street, which which are, are, are currently big holes on the street. You look at Ikea or um, House of Fraser or Debenhams, you know, blank spaces. But really, we've, we've always known the potential and what is there, and clearly COVID had a significant impact on that. But it's not just, again, going back to one of Sam's points, it's not just Oxford Street. You know, you look at the whole of the UK where Debenhams, House of Fraser, Arcadia brands, they all went bust in a relatively short period of time. And landlords take time to, to fill these spaces. You know, it, you can fill them on a short-term basis, but that is often with a retailer you don't necessarily want to wait to get the right brand in. And that's exactly what's happened with Oxford Street. Yeah. And it has been such a negative rhetoric that I and all of us in the industry get so bored with, quite frankly. You know, But then we know what's coming. So that is the key thing. And it's great talking about it, but we, what we are talking about will be seen over the course of the next 12, 15, 18, even two years. You know, we know what's down the line. I think that, that your point on the department stores is a really interesting one comparing it to nationally because the two in particular, House of Fraser and the Debenhams, were huge, four, 500,000 square foot, mm -hmm. very redundant space. It was really poorly utilised, very little investment had gone in them for the last few years. Those landlords knew that was something that gonna, was going to happen with those buildings and were waiting for it. And the catalyst of that and what they're going to deliver is unlike a lot of the shopping centres around the country where you know the landlords are still thinking about how can we repurpose very hard investment-wise and capital to make them stack to do something, and they have very few alternatives. In these locations, the opportunity was massive. You know, These are once-in-a-generation opportunities that you can br totally change those buildings. So offices coming into the West End particularly is a huge change since COVID, and we've seen that with the rents that are being achieved on office spaces for large footplates. The West End is really appealing for an office worker, and if a, if a tenant wants to bring, an occupier wants to bring their office workers back in, being in the West End where you've got the retail, you've got the F&B, you've got these exciting areas, it's, an, it's a good place to be, and with the new transport links, Elizabeth Line, etc., that's only helped. So that with reconfigured retail space, modern retail space, mm -hmm is really attractive and will lease really well. So, for example, the Debenhams, if it was coming down from, say, 400,000 square foot retail to 75,000, that's going to be really attractive. And we saw it with the likes of Derwent and the GPEs and why Reserved came in, and when they did, you were waiting for the right space, mm -hmm. weren't you? Modern, configured space. And retailers, we find now, don't want to take a view on poor space, lots of columns, bad frontages, it has to be the right sort of space. And when the landlords are investing in this right space, the retailers are taking that. A lot of them were waiting for the right point in the market, which you know, Dan from Mule, you were looking at East Oxford Street for a couple of years, weren't you? Mm -hmm. And struck at the moment that you felt was right for your for your client. But that is um, 
we've seen that throughout. I, I, I want to stick with those those b those big opportunities and that repurposing. It's a, it's a word we hear a lot in in real estate, isn't it? And I, but I think you're you're right. There's the real opportunity for Oxford Street. There isn't there. It's not just bring office workers back, but you know, is there an opportunity to bring people to live live shop and work on Oxford Street and really bring that um, vibrancy back to the street and the the area? I think the first thing with it has been the planners. So Westminster historically were very, very challenging on any Oxford Street. It was very black and white. It had to be retail, and that was it. You know, I was involved with a deal with Tesla years ago on Oxford Street, which they opened Tesla, and then the planning retrospectively was wasn't given. They had to close the store. The council have been way more open to that. The challenges that they saw has allowed the landlords to be able to push the council more on the different uses. Residential, I think, is is probably to come in the future, further down the line, but the, the key thing has been the food, F&B, which you never had that, you know, on Oxford Street, where did you go? You had Christopher Place and a few others, but now the flexibility that they've given to allow other uses, and the likes of these department stores have got not just retail on the front, but they've got rooftop bars, they've got F&B around the sides, on the side streets, and we've seen that all the way down the street. So bringing outside of the fast food, we needed the restaurants and the, you know, the all-day all day cafes, those sorts of experiences which we're getting. And there are developments with sort of experiential retail which used to bring in much more the tourism. We're now seeing that, a real focus on Oxford Street as well. So there's definitely way more diver diverse uses coming. I think that's something we saw as well um, during COVID is that, yes, you can do online shopping, but what you can't mm. replicate is the experience. And that's where I think the competitive socialising, the F&B, and this um, more exciting landscape that Oxford Street now offers is really important to bringing people back into the West End and ultimately increasing dwell time. I mean, it's what shopping centres have done for a very long time um, in order to keep a captive audience there. And I think it's something that Oxford Street's needed to do. And part of this rebasing of rents that Sam talked about earlier has allowed those uses to come in um, and, and thrive, really. You compared it there to to shopping centres, and we've talked about the the estates as well, and and about the issue with Oxford Street being the disparate own ownership. How do how does the industry get together? I suppose to ensure that Oxford Street is curated in in mm -hmm. the right way. That there is the experiential stuff. There are the shops you can go and try things about. Maybe you don't buy something there; you buy it online. But at least you you play play around with it. I know um, Sam, we've talked a bit about the space um requirements changing now be because of because of that how do how do we how do we curate oxford street it's a challenge um and the fragmented ownership doesn't help um you've got bodies like newwec and and uh, that are incentivized to um support the west end as a whole and do a lot of work on streets including oxford street um but it is a challenge when you've got different ownerships with probably different agendas they're not all uk based some of them are internationally based um, I think you can look at somewhere like Bond Street where you've also got fragmented ownership um, but almost by virtue of that becoming such a success it does attract a certain type of tenant now. Mm -hmm. um, Oxford, Street has, Oxford Street has always been sort of your high fashion mass market type of mix. Um, Regent Street's found its place, Bond Street's found its place and I think it will just be about Oxford Street um, re-establishing itself in this new um, light um, and I think from that the demand will come um, but I think you've also got to look at it as London as a whole you know we, do we need to have 
different streets with such different identities. I question that. I mean, there's been a bit more of a blurring in recent times mm. between Regent Street and Bond Street, and the Crown have really gone after a more aspirational tenant mix. And you've seen brands, you know, like Michael Kors, like Longchamp, that have got offers on Regent Street and they've got offers on Bond Street. Um, Oxford Street can be part of that. You know, the competitive um, element that we've seen probably slightly more towards Covent Garden, Soho, Tottenham Court Road, Charing Cross, you know, that is also coming down to Oxford Street now. And isn't it about what London offers as a collective rather than the individual? I think as well, L- London is is pretty unique insofar as the, the estates that we have, called, you know, the Crown Estate, Howard de Walden, Shaftesbury Capital now. The, the, the disparate ownership is is commonplace throughout the world it's it's and, and it's an organic growth and it's trends and lots of many 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 different factors um contribute to what makes a good street and i think that it is just an organic growth and we all do try and work in the industry but obviously we all have our own agendas and our retailers and landlords have their own agendas but it is an organic process and that is possibly why oxford street takes a little bit longer for that reason you know shopping centers or crown estate can manage it slightly differently but the but the bodies help um and also all the retailers and all the landlords ultimately they do want the same thing they want a successful street and hopefully with the with more support from the council and those local bodies we can we can get that you look, but you look at the ownership and actually the largest owner on oxford street is retailers themselves <laughs> you know from um selfridges um, John Lewis, you have the Inditex Group, um, Pontecadere that own huge sections of it, Ramsbury the, uh, are the owners of uh, the H&M Group. The majority is owned by retailers, a little bit like Bond Street. And then you've got a group of landlords that have got you know responsibility and investment and refurbishment, dev- redevelopment, the likes of the Derwents, the GPEs, the Norges, that these sorts of groups mm-hmm. that have really invested for the longer term on it. And then there's a, a, a mix of a number of other international landlords. But um, so, so you look at that on the longer term and it's actually a, a pretty good group and a pretty diverse group. I think the challenge that we've had is just about all these external factors that have had this major impact on it. But now that you've got the supply being soaked up and the demand increasing, it's it's happening the market forces that sarah talked about are, are just gaining momentum so we're seeing all different uses with demands on the street at the moment so from the fashion the mass market which have always been the key driver it's the highest footfall street in europe is bound to be where those sort of operators look to go and they're investing but you've got beauty you've got athleisure you've got the sportswear which dan we spoke about the other day about how much that's been growing on the street and then got consumer brands that are looking to showcase their product to the highest footfall and brands are now looking at stores not just in terms of the return and sale of product but about the experience about showcasing their product and you've got that from the likes of EB, EV brands but also many other consumer brands that are looking at sort of showcasing themselves in the best possible light so the mix of all these different uses and groups actually create will create and we'll see this it's probably going to take another six months for the consumer walking the street to absolutely see it is going to be there and then you've also, I think, the other interesting area that we've all been quite close to is East Oxford Street and the development of that. Mm. And the flagship space for people that are shopping in Soho. Soho has really developed over the course of the last couple of years with the sorts of brands going in there you know, are quite diverse with the sort of groupings and the young nature that they sort of attract to them. And those consumers then come up on Oxford Street East and with big flagship space that's there available, the other big brands, the likes of the JD Sports, want to take space and reserve that Dan did, want those consumers up 
and they come onto Oxford Street after being through Soho. I, I'm keen to understand as well with those the, the different types of uses now that are coming onto Oxford Street. If that's changing the the type of de- deal, are we seeing bigger, smaller space? Are people taking longer longer leases? I know we um, wrote a story. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, Pui wrote about a k- kebab shop <laughs> opening, <laughs> taking a, um, I think it was a 25-year lease. Which, which many years ago, that was commonplace, yeah. right? You know, and then obviously we all know leases have come become shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think that 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 is also key in that some of the legacy brands that have been on Regent Street, sorry, Oxford Street, um, signed up to 15, maybe 20-year leases, are still in that space. Mm. How much has that? brand and that requirement changed for that retailer and if if you look at any retailer on Oxford Street who's been there for more than 10 years they would probably choose to be in a different space mm-hmm. again coming to change and t- the time it takes to do that but, but it's no different to what we see in the office space as well no. uh, where you know uh, outside of the HQ lettings you know certainly a lot of the tech industries you know they're all evolving so quickly that they might start with us wanting a space that is for four people and in 12 months time they've grown to 40 mm. people and they need their space to adapt you know along with the, how their business adapts as well mm. um, I mean I think some of the um, some of the um, sort of rationale towards shorter leases has also been driven by the amount of supply that we've had in the market you know ultimately this is about negotiating strength between relative parties in a transaction and when there has been the sort of levels of supply that we have seen in the last 24 months which you know rightly as Sam alludes to come down now um, you know, tenants have had a stronger negotiating position, and certainly a lot of the deals that we've done, um, there has been flexibility attached to them. But most of them are on the tenant side, um, and it's been quite difficult for us, uh, certainly from a valuation perspective. But you've got to go with where the market is, um, and you've got to acknowledge that. And you know, we think it's better to get these deals done um, than than not and have vacant space. You know, for Oxford Street and for our portfolio, it's a reflection from retailers' requirements. You know, they know that what they have now from a from a sizing perspective from a where they sit in the in the brand hierarchy may well change in five years sure. time so they have to have that flexibility and why not if the, the market's the, the allowing and, and you fundamentally to get it. the biggest problem with with retail over the past however many years is that there are a number of retailers with legacy stores across the country mm-hmm. um, and you see it with the brands that the retailers that aren't with us anymore for that reason that was what was pulling them down that was the fundamental reason not necessarily because they were bad retailers mm. but they just had too much costs and too many leases on, on rents that were not relevant anymore and obviously retailers are a lot more savvy now that they don't want to go through that same process yeah and that's the beauty of it those retailers at the moment with a with a healthy small portfolio see the opportunity on Oxford Street and, and everywhere else in the UK and that's a real positive but I think some of that tenant only flexibility is starting to come in a little bit as the supply gets mopped up you know and certainly um you know over the course of the deals that we have done over the last probably 18 months on oxford street um we've been able to be uh, a little bit more robust on the terms that we've wanted to see um and i think you know maybe maybe oxford street is slightly different because people do believe in it you know it is the busiest street um, and everyone believes that it is coming back. Conversely, no retailer takes a lease wanting to operate that three or five year break. You know that is not something they want to invest in, and then of course not leave when they fitted it out. Years, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No. And you know that flexibility is changing a little bit, but it, but retailers uh, absolutely have to cover their risks and, and, and not make the same mistakes as we, as we made before. 
And landlords don't want that to happen either, right? No. Landlords don't want a retailer in their property paying a rent they can't sustain or can't afford. It's not. It doesn't work. It for doesn't anybody. work for either side. No. no. But we are. But we have seen uh, a change in the type of space that retailers want um, as well. And I think some of the challenges for us as landlords and developers is making sure that the buildings that we design um, stay true to mm -hmm. what people want by the time we come to lease it. And that is uh, a challenge. You know, when sometimes from planning through to practical completion, you can be talking about four or five years um, and uh, things change in that time that's a long time in the retail world um, you know and we had to on on 70 to 88 and on a development we've got on Oxford Street up by Marble Arch at the moment you know we had to look to reconfigure these spaces and you know everyone talks about designing flexibly but it's quite hard to do that and it comes at significant cost mm. uh, and Dan knows only uh, too well the sort of changes that we had to make to facilitate the reserve letting um, but when we designed that development it was designed as four three-level stores. When we came to the market, that wasn't what people wanted. And that is how we had to reconfigure the space. We did the competitive socialising deal with um, Boom Battle Bar, who took out all of the basement and left us with two levels, which is what retailers wanted. Uh, still not what Reserve wanted. We had to make some more changes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah. but it is a challenge, and it's sort of how you can navigate around that and predict that. It's really difficult. And that, I suppose... Um, requires a real sort of partnership between uh, property owner I'm not I'm going to try not to use the L word uh, an occupier and you know Sam you um sort of curating curating that and bringing bring the parties together so that there can be a revived o Oxford Street or any street any street yeah I think you've, you've got to understand what the property owners drivers are really because you've got a, a number of property owners that have been really focused on getting the right brands in, which is absolutely the right approach, um, particularly when there was a lot of availability, rather than take the easy deal that might be slightly a little bit more income, but you know in the longer term is going to look poor on the street and isn't going to help the rest of the street. You know, my job is, is the balance of that and really focusing with the landlords on bringing the right brands in where we can. And, and we've seen that. And a number of the landlords have been doing that over the course of the last sort of 12 months. So I think that helps. I think the point I wanted to go back on just was on the lease length side of things because I think that is that is quite important and quite telling. From what we've seen with it, the balance has been that retailers, it's not the flexibility like they've required nationally, it breaks in year three, year four. The break clauses that they've wanted have just been a sort of a nuclear button if the rents were to accelerate to a crazy level after five years. And the landlords have wanted these open market rent reviews because they've given rebased rent so there'll be that that's the flexibility that the retailers wanted it the you know the fit out costs etc retailers don't want to be coming out after five years with the huge investment that they make in these buildings on oxford street so i think that's a key part of it the other thing we've seen is is demand and supply and that market has changed in the course of the last two months the speed of recovery is quite extraordinary you know i've, I've been dealing with properties that haven't had viewings for six nine months and then we've got multiple bids, best bid situations on Oxford Street. That has been unheard of over the course of the last three years. So landlords have got no choice with brands. And so those break clauses and where that's happening, I'm, I'm starting to see are moving out. There's been some situations of some 10-year leases being offered on mm -hmm. particular buildings. Um, whether that continues with 10-year leases, we'll have to wait and see where that goes. But the, the whole dynamic of the relationship has now started to change from it being a purely tenant market where they were able to really drive those terms and now I really would call it a genuine partnership where the landlord with the right brand the right deals are being done 
and that is for the benefit of the of the street which ultimately i suppose benefits landlord and and retail. yeah because it allows the landlords to invest further because now that they're starting to see the space let it, the their assets being in and producing and the demand being there that helps them with the confidence of buying further properties on Oxford Street so when other landlords look to sell we want the next cycle is what we're starting to look at what are the next developments going to happen because there are still loads of other buildings on Oxford Street that need repurposing we've seen massive investment on the east and these developments now happen and come through and open and on the west Oxford Street we've got the department stores but there's many others that we expect to be developed or hope to be developed over the next decade well, we, I mean, we've just shown our confidence in the street because we've just purchased Soho Square, which has obviously got a huge frontage on Oxford Street, mm. right opposite the development we've just done. So we absolutely back that. And would you have done that 18 months ago? Would you have been that confident? Uh, well, on the basis that probably 18 months ago we had most of our retail vacant at 70 to 88 <laughs> Oxford Street opposite, I think that would have been a hard sell to my board as to why we should be buying it. You would have, though, Sarah, we, wouldn't you? I would afford yeah. it, but <laughs> it's not my decision. But no, look, I think um, we've always believed in Oxford Street. We always believe in central London. It's the premise of our entire business. Um, and um, we have always believed in it, I think, as well, when other people haven't. And it's paid off. Um mm. So possibly we would have done, but I think the fact that we've managed to let that space, um, we've let it you know, on terms that we are comfortable with to brands that are well-established brands with good covenants that believe in the location like we do, you know, that's given us extra confidence. Mm. I think that's it, you know, the, the, the old property adage of always buy prime or location, 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 you know, we, we've known that Oxford Street has got that and we'll always have it. So it's just a yeah. matter of time, really. Our CEO often talks about being better than the rest, you know, in this sort of, Bifurcation of the best and the rest and you know central London is absolutely the best you know not just on a UK level but on a global level I, I want to come to the the future of Oxford Street in in a bit but there was Sam you talked earlier about this sort of the lag I suppose of the deals that um, you know everyone around this ta table is doing and knows about but the consumer doesn't doesn't mm. see it for such a long long time and so much of Oxford Street is tied up in what the consumer sees. Um, how do we how do we balance the, you know, the excitement of what's going on behind closed doors and and pushing that out to uh, the general Joe or Josephine on on the streets so they can understand that there is there is life here that it, it is a great street. Keep keep coming back. I think there's a couple of things. I think the media perception is now changing, mm -hmm. and being here today, I think really starts to help that and get that message out and yes this is to the business world but you know we're talking really here today but that all drip feeds through you know it w what we need is the the papers the daily mails who just pick up on anything they were way late to the table in terms of the candy store stuff it's the evening standards all these sorts of different media outlets need to be just promoting those deals but they're going to come one by one by one and these announcements of deal after deal happening which we've seen over the last two months and we're going to see continuing over the course of the next few months people will just see it walking down the street and I sort of quite like that rather than it be in one go people are walking say oh that unit's now been let you know HMV we've got opening in a few weeks time the press around that HMV coming back to their original home there'll be lots of press on that and it will be driving the consumers back and actually that that's really interesting that unit because that was it was almost the one that was in everyone's mind when they talked about the candy stores, it wasn't was it? It was the, the one that was photographed all yeah. the time because it looked so terrible. Mm. So I think to have that coming back as HMV is even more important than probably it, any other one. It's, yeah. it's very difficult to, to kind of 
uh, over promote before deals happen these guys know better than i do you know there's, there's so much confidentiality mm. wrapped in in transactions for for legal reasons you know so it goes back to the organic kind of process that we go through and people will every time they come if they discover something else you know they'll come back more and more and more and it's it's a it's a process it takes we often time. we do often put a clause and dan will know this but we do often put a clause in our um leases well, we ask retailers to vinyl within a set period of time of the deal exchanging. Um, and normally we try and get that within two or four weeks. Um, and I mean, I've never had a retailer push back apart from the logistics sometimes of lead in times, because ultimately that's advertising for the retailer on one of the busiest streets in the world. But it also helps build that momentum. And I think, you know, if other landlords can do that as well, that's a really positive thing that everyone's united on. And, and looks prettier than just a right. boarded up old yes, shop. Exactly. Let's talk about building the momentum then and um, where Oxford Street can get to. It has been, always will be, the the address that everyone knows. Uh, we are, you know, has had a blip. Let's uh, let's be honest about that. But um, but it really is coming back. Where where can it get to? And what are the ambitions, I suppose, for the for the street? Sarah, I'll start with you as a as an owner. Uh, on the street where do you want it to to get to um look i think it's got global recognition um it always has had it and it always will it's important that it has it for the right reasons um i think you know one of the things that still needs to be done and we all talk about footfall coming back we certainly talk about sales coming back um but you know this whole VAT piece. You know I think that is so fundamental, not just for Oxford Street, but the whole future of London and the UK. To be honest with you, um, I don't understand why they're not doing it. I don't understand why they did it in the first place. And I'm not sure anyone really understands that in our world anyway. Um, you know, and all the stats that I have read all talk about whatever they might be saving. Um, it's not as much as they would be making, um, and I think that's critical. Um, so I would beg anyone that's listening you know to reconsider that um you know that can but look i think um i think oxford street's doing well yes it's had a, a pause a blip whatever you want to call it um but i think uh encouraging it um to find its place in the london landscape um diversification's not bad it's a good thing uh, I think we will, as you know, as Dan says, it's been through lots of evolutions and it will continue to go through lots of evolutions. But as landlords, we've got to embrace that. We've got to build space that is fit for that purpose to create as much flexibility as we can. Uh, and I think we've got to be open to new uses as well. You know, gone are the days where, um, you know, we just knock an operator back because the covenant doesn't work. You know, we've, we've got to be open to these things. You know, a few years ago, we'd have jumped at any deal that had Arcadia, you know, <laughs> on the hook or, you know, or, or any of the banks. And look how that has all changed. So I think um, there was an onus on us to explore things, to really understand the businesses that we're doing deals with as well. Because I think if you understand the businesses that you're doing deals with and you believe in that business, um, then it can create this partnership. You know, most of our deals that we've done on Oxford Street have had an element of turnover. Um, sometimes that's been because we haven't been able to get the base rents that we've wanted because of the dynamics that we've talked about for the last half an hour. Um, but I think those deals are good as well because it creates a collaboration between the landlord and the tenant. And I think we need to encourage that because if the retailer wins, we win, everyone wins. Fantastic. Dan? Um, well, I, th I think it, it starts with the creation of the best space, you know. Um, 
the word flagship is a is a slightly bittersweet word in many ways <laughs> because it's what does that flagship really mean? Is it means a loss leader, which it kind of what once meant. I don't. I certainly don't want that. Um, but I do want. Would like to see that the best of the best, really. And I think that ultimately comes down with the, the, the space being created. And before before the podcast, Salmonette, where we were all talking about um, the new Bond Street corner, the the old next, which has just been unhoarded, which is creating an amazing. Um, I don't want to use the word, but I feel like I flagship. have flagship <laughs> opportunity. I mean, I'm, doing the, I'm doing the landlord's work here. But it is an incredible corner on two of the most iconic streets in the world. Right? So whoever goes in there, they will want to make that their best store, probably. And I think Oxford Street was always renowned for that, whether it be Fifth Avenue or Broadway or Champs-Élysées. That that's, that's was always what the retailers wanted to do. So, And I see that happening, but I also... I also see a, a, a gradual change in the street over the over the years to come. You know, it will not be the same. It will not suddenly be fixed. You know, you're absolutely right. We all acknowledge that it was a, a tricky place for, for quite a long time, but so were a lot of re retail locations around the world and in the UK. So it's not just on its own for that. But I would like to see change. I would like to see. I don't want to use the word evolution because I think that's a bit naff. But it, it is kind of what it is. You know and retailers will do that and change that restaurants come and go um i don't mean come and go from a from a um turnover point of view from that from, from opening and closing but different brands different restaurants different uses and a reason for people to come you've used flagship and evolution <laughs> i can't believe i did that <laughs> <laughs> but, but i think the I, I agree with all of those points it's it's a new chapter and if you look back on oxford street over the decades from the 60s 70s 80s whenever it was there was always a big period of change whether it be the department stores lots of small stores on oxford street then much larger stores you know landlords were taking space back to combine units which were going through the end of that cycle now there was a blip in that and that sort of delay from covid from rates rents at the levels they were at all those had this impact which created this larger period that we've had this challenge on it at the moment and with much more media coverage than there used to be that's been sort of accentuated so I think that point that Dan says in terms of the landlords investing in the buildings that needs to continue and it has and we're now seeing that come through I think the diversity of uses is the key thing but market forces dictate that which and I'm a big believer in market forces we're seeing it with demand and supply the brands that I'm seeing come onto the street at the moment like I've talked about from tech consumer brands a real diverse set of fashion retailers from Asia from the US from Europe UK brands upsizing relocating all of that's happening so I see that all as a really positive element and the diversification is going to come through over the next couple of years as we see it the one area that has always been talked about that's never been never been delivered on has been that placemaking and the areas outside of the landlord's ownership and the council element challenges with funding landlords are going to have to contribute part of that to it and that's all going through the process at the moment but the placemaking works when you look at other other areas like the Champs-Élysées where the trees the wide pavements it's an attractive area to shop when you've got huge footfall Oxford Street has you know has struggled with that in years gone by at Christmas when it was really busy it really sometimes put you off shopping it but if we can create that place making improved pavements nicer area to actually shop outside of the stores where the landlords are already putting the investment that's the winner 
and I think the political challenges that we've seen with the mayor, the heads of the councils before in the last few years, we need to get rid of that. So that area, I think, is on the political spectrum to sort out mm. and deliver. We've got the likes of Newek with new chairmanship with um, Paul Williams at Derwent, who's really helping drive it, and um, and Dee at the uh, who's the chief executive as well. They've they've got a good agenda and they're really promoting. But we need we need that to happen. That for me is the next key key area is the placemaking. So you took me to my to my sort of final roundup question, which is always the what's the what's the ask? You know, we, we've, we're seeing um, evolution on on the street, trans transformation, <laughs> Flagship. um, flagships left, right, and left, right, and centre. We're That's seeing that, right? a bit of shine, right, come back to Oxford Street, and and that personality, I suppose, that it's that it's always always had. But we, but we need more. So there needs to be a bit of an ask to whoever. We've talked about VAT. There's a big ask yeah. there. Uh, we talked about the need for, for placemaking and people coming together to fill the spaces in between. What else is there that anyone who's listening, whether they're an uh, investor on the street, an occupier, um, anyone listening from the council or a consumer, what, what can they do to help continue Oxford Street on this on this journey connecting it with the whole of whole of London it perhaps you know not necessarily being that competitiveness but it being that wonderful sort of main street that means everything to 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 London and 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 the retail and other uses it's a big question I apologize um don't believe everything you read. <laughs> and unless um, it's in the EG. Unless it's in the EG <laughs> and you have Sam, Sarah and Dan talking about it. But um, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tough question. But it, it's, it, it, it will be there to see in, 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 in time. And it's already there now in part. Parts of it are looking great. But over the course of the next few months and years, it will, it will change and continue to get significantly better. You know, Sam talked about the, the streetscaping and the, and, and, and the placemaking. That would be a wonderful have if we could have it. And would, everyone in the retail industry would love some sort of pedestrianisation or, or, or increased um, pavements and, 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 and streetscaping. But that may or may not happen. It's not going to happen in the short term, obviously. So um, I, mean, I, think, I think the planning piece, you know, is probably a concern for us. I mean, obviously, you've all seen what's happened with Marks and Spencer's. Mm -hmm. And I think Heinz development, you know, that got knocked back. And I think it's quite difficult for us as developers um, to um, actively navigate our way around this. Um, when we want to invest in the street, we want to make it better. We want to give it a competitive edge and advantage. Um, but you've got decisions being made where they're going against their own planning advisor's advice. Um, that's tricky to navigate and presents a lot of risk for us um so perhaps slightly more direction a joined up approach on that would be good you're asking all the all the big questions i uh, am um, i am <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not feeling over overly no, no, confident that you'll I. get the answer I, you want neither am i but i think you know if we are going to kind of take a step back here and say what do we need to do to make sure that london remains at the top of the um you know of its game in a you know on an international playing field you know things like this are really important um, and I think we do need to address them um, and we do need to talk about them and we do need to keep demanding because um, I think a lot of us are a little bit confused as to why we are where we are <laughs> and really important to underline 
the value of this to I guess UK PLC the 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 economy if we get 100%. if we get planning right if we can create places that people want to occupy shop in work in live live visit, in visit travel mm. to all that stuff yeah. 100% yeah Sam the final word goes to you yeah I think I mean the, I think Sarah and Dan have covered it quite well there the other thing I would look back is the step back and look at Oxford Street on a global perspective and you know retailers Brexit had an impact on things as well, the mm. separation of the UK from Europe. And historically, the UK and London was always the number one location that a brand would look at as they were entering Europe. Now, they question that. And you know, London is still one of those, but is it number one or is it number two after Paris? So that element needs to be, Oxford Street particularly, needs to be more in the limelight. And to encourage the continued development of it, an evolution, Dan word, Dan's word, <laughs> is... I think they, the council have done made some good moves, but the planning element that Sarah talked about is huge. There needs to be massive flexibility. Market forces, retailers need to be able to control how they portray their brand on the street. They're the ones that know how they trade. They're the ones that know what they do. We see globally in other cities from the likes of Shanghai, Tokyo, incredible retail destinations. And retailers need to be given that control. And so the flexibility on planning in terms of use and on the buildings themselves is going to be big because that's going to help the landlords. I think the landlords need to be given a lot more flexibility on the planning side of things, whether they want the residential, whether they want the hotels, what they want with the buildings. Again, they're the ones investing. They need more flexibility. So whether it's more of an enterprise zone and there's encouragement with it specifically, the estates don't need it. They control that absolutely perfectly in what they're doing. Oxford Street has needed that support. So to get it on the level playing field as the estates, more flexibility required from retailers and landlords. And I think that will really help. Fantastic. I think this has been a, a really great conversation. So nice to talk about Oxford Street in a positive positive sense. And I think there is, there's still so much work to do, isn't there? But there is um, a... A real sort of energy it feels uh, on the on the street now and we just need to amplify that a little bit so I hope that people listening have have heard the asks have heard the the passion that there is is for the for the street and perhaps we'll come back in another 18 months time we'll talk about this street that's full of amazing different different brands and, and life back again but thank you for uh, a positive look at the world's greatest shopping street the wonderful street that is Oxford Street. Thank you for joining us, Dan, Sarah and Sam.